we're going to be reading Ephesians 4, and you may stand. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and bond of peace, in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith and and of the knowledge of the son of god to a perfect man to measure of sorry to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joint and knit together by every joint, supplies, according to the effective work by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness that is in their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to walk, to, sorry, to work all in cleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off, concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each, of you, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You may be seated. Good morning. We're back again, part three, if you will, on uh, what we're working on here at the beginning of this new year, looking at some building blocks of of the church uh, of Jesus Christ, and in particular some building blocks uh, for us here at Hope in Christ. Excited about uh, this third week, uh, this this third message in the series, Um, and I'm encouraging uh, all of you to uh, listen to what God's Word has to teach us today, and that we would all have ears to hear. Um, That phrase is a reminder, ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You know, the Spirit was speaking to the churches back in Revelation 2 and 3. That same Spirit still desires and wants to speak to His church today. Amen? We're going to pray, and we're going to jump in. Father, we thank You that You are a great God. Awesome and great God that you are. You are the God who keeps covenant. You keep the covenant of mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Father, today I ask that you would let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. That you would hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now on behalf of of your people here at Hope in Christ. Lord, I confess the sins that we have committed before you. And ask that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness as we seek to build our lives upon your sure foundation in Christ Jesus. Lord, we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. We're grateful that you stand strong as our good shepherd. You know everything about us. And you've called us unto yourself to follow you, to walk with you, to abide in your Son. And to live the abundant life that you've provided through Jesus. And to do so empowered by the working of the Holy Spirit in us. Lord, I pray that you would let your word prosper this day as it scatters to all those listening. May it produce the fruit that you desire and may it serve as nourishment to each soul. God, I pray that your hand would move upon me as I speak your words. Pray that you would give me a mouth and a wisdom to speak your truth. I pray these things in the name of of the one true and holy God, our rock of defense, our strong tower, whose name is Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Lieutenant John Waldron, Naval Academy graduate of 1924, led a group of 15 pilots into the fray in what we now know as the Battle of Midway. For some 14 years prior to June 4th, 1942, Waldron had been an aviation instructor. One of the best aviation instructors. Waldron took command of Torpedo Squadron 8 in the summer of 1941. We read the story in a little booklet called Faithful Under Fire about Mr. Waldron and Torpedo Squadron 8. 
Later, this particular squadron was assigned to the new aircraft carrier called the Hornet. And Waldron followed a rather strict philosophy for training his men, and his disciplinary tendencies showed up in a scrupulous attention to detail in their training. Unlike the other Hornet squadrons, Waldron's men did daily exercises, which included push-ups, included jumping jacks, included running the entire perimeter of the 770-foot carrier. Relentlessly, Waldron took his men through hundreds of hours of practicing formation, practicing takeoff and landing, fighter evasion, bombing, navigation, survival, and torpedo tactics, torpedo tactics, torpedo tactics, time and again. In flight classes, he would surprise his men with complicated spur-of-the-moment problems to solve. And though they griped about Waldron's demanding ways, by all accounts, they believed in and admired him as a father figure more than a taskmaster. By the eve of battle on June 3rd, 1942, Waldron had every, every reason to believe that Torpedo Squadron 8 was ready physically, tactically, and emotionally. They were as prepared as he could make them. And I read that, and I was thinking about that last line in particular. They were as prepared as he could make them. Helpful words. Challenging words to read. Convicting words to read. Are those entrusted to my care as prepared as I can make them at this point? Men, is your wife as prepared as she can because of you washing her in the word? Dads and moms, are your children as prepared as they can be right now because of your training and equipping in the way that they ought to go? I was reading Ephesians 4 this week, and verses 11 and 12, if you have your Bible, please look at it. And he himself, that's Christ, by the way, Christ gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It's my hope to equip you all as best as I can as the Lord enables me. To prepare you. To train you. To help make you ready for the work of ministry. That's what I'm called to do. That's what I'm called to be about as a pastor and teacher. To equip. One of the ways that happens is through the preached word. The objective is to prepare you all for the work of ministry. Now the work of ministry is just that. It's work. 
We just need to let that settle in for just a moment. You see, there was a day when people didn't think twice about putting in an honest day's work. Remember those days? If you don't remember them, you maybe have heard people talk about those days. You mention work today, and you get a, a scowl, a definite body language message that says, No thanks. I'd rather play. I'd rather be entertained. The church of Jesus Christ is established on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, right? Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, talked about that last week, coupled with Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. We're building on the, the foundation, the one foundation that's already laid and that which is Jesus Christ. That's what we're building on. Two weeks ago, we began building on this foundation with an understanding of John 3.16. And the need to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, right? Last week, we continued building on this theme. Looking at the place of prayer in the life of one in relationship with God. And we talked about this place of prayer, that it was a place of privilege, right? It was a place where we have access, unlimited access... It's a place of humility, a place of intimacy, a place of relationship with God. We had the table out here and we were talking about at the table, this ultimate conversation. It's a place of need. It's a place of battle, spiritual battle in the heavenly realms. And it's a place where power, his power comes. We see it time and again as his people in the scripture are praying, God's power is poured out when his people pray. Today we continue building on the foundation of Christ, looking to God's word on what it is to be equipped. Equip, that's the key word. Last week was pray. This week, I want you to think about the word equip. We're going to look and see what God has to say in his word about being equipped for his work during our time here. Remember, we are here but for a time. We are pilgrims and sojourners, according to the Bible. We're here for a small amount of time, a blip on the radar. The follower of Jesus Christ sees equipping as a necessity, not an option. It's a necessity. And because equipping is a necessity, the follower of Jesus also understands his need to work. He understands his need to serve. He understands he has a part to play in Christ's church. He understands that a new creation is different than the old creation he used to be. Perhaps one of the starting points in our discussion is asking the question, how has God fully equipped you? Fully equipped by God. That's the subtitle of the message. Fully equipped. As I was thinking about being fully equipped, I was thinking about that phrase and how it oftentimes gets used in reference to a car or a vehicle. You know, you go and you buy a car and they're talking about it's loaded. This car is loaded. This car is fully equipped. And that sounds great, doesn't it? Sounds really good when they, when they give you that terminology. It's fully loaded. It's fully equipped. But you know what? Something much better than that is to be fully equipped, fully loaded with all that God's given to you. 
Let me give you five things God's given to you. It's important you know what God's given to you. How has he fully equipped you? Number one, here's what he's done. The first thing he's done, as you think about being fully equipped, God has seen fit. He's seen fit here in this work as we're talking about uh, what it is to be equipped. I want to give you the first one. He's given to you his promised Holy Spirit. When you became a child of God, he gave you his promised Holy Spirit to take up residence in you. That's one of the ways he's fully equipped you. He's given to you his promised Holy Spirit to abide in you forever. Second thing, how has he fully equipped you? He's given to you his revealed word to teach you and direct your steps. Isn't that great? He's fully equipped you, given you his spirit to abide in you, given to you and revealed to you his holy word to teach you and direct you in how to live. Third, how has God fully equipped you? He's fully equipped you because he's given to you, he's given to you the body of Christ. He's placed you in his family to encourage you, to love you, to strengthen you. That together with the saints, you might be useful now to the master. That's his hope and desire for you. He's fully equipped you by giving you the Holy Spirit, by giving you his revealed word of truth, by placing you in his family. Fourth, he's given you unlimited access to the throne of grace. That's a pretty big deal. You think about being fully equipped. You have unlimited access. You know, you, you might go someplace and, and, and you might see uh, some different benefits for being a part of something. And one of the benefits, they usually use that word unlimited. You have unlimited access to this, right? Oh, that sounds great. It's unlimited access. We have unlimited access to the throne of grace, friends. That's one of the ways God's fully equipped you and me. Let me give you number five. How's God fully equipped you? He's given to you a hope of eternal life. And the promise of being with Jesus in heaven. That's wonderful. Do you know there are a lot of people today without hope in this world? One of the ways he's fully equipped you, yes, he's given to you the spirit. Yes, he's given to you his word. Yes, he's placed you in the family of God. Yes, he's given you unlimited access to the throne of grace. But he's also given to you a hope. A hope of something yet to come. And that something yet to come really is wrapped up in someone. Because he's the highlight. It's Christ. Being with Christ, seeing Jesus as he is, and being with him in his heavenly home. One day. One day he's coming. Second Peter chapter 1 says it this way. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Second Peter 1.3. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, he has fully equipped us for his work. 
We've got to understand this right at the beginning. This is so important for our understanding. He has fully equipped us. And as we build on the foundation of Christ, the church is called to be praying. Talked about that last week. And to understand her equipping role. You know, perhaps we're quick to point out the equipping role of the elder or the shepherd in the body and, and point to his equipping of the saints as we read here in chapter 4 of Ephesians. No doubt evident, no doubt it's plain in the scriptures. But the Christ follower, the Christ follower is not a passive bystander in the equipping. This is so important. In your home, dad can desire to equip you, son... Or daughter. But if your heart's not right. Or you somehow think that you are being equipped. Simply by living inside the home of a Christian family. You're missing out on what God has for you. See living in the home of a Christian father and mother. Does not automatically mean you are being equipped. You can have a, what the Bible says in our reading here of late in the Old Testament, you can have a stiff neck. You can be rebellious in heart. You can walk contrary to the Lord. Listen, it is hard to equip a young person who has little or no desire to be equipped But listen, this isn't only for the young person. This goes for dad and mom as well. This goes for grandpa and grandma. This goes for young and old. Being equipped requires a readiness and a willingness and urgency to grow in the Lord and to be useful to the master. No passive bystanders in the realm of equipping. It's for his honor, for his glory. Are we engaged To bring the Lord glory. As for the pastor and teacher, Peter says in his first epistle, chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, he says, Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving, we're going to talk about that next week, serving as overseers, Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So as I was reading that, a summary message to me is shepherd God's flock here at Hope in Christ, serving them willingly, eagerly, And by example. Willingly, eagerly, by example. Willingly. In other words, no one should have to twist my arm to carry out this work of service. Eagerly, shepherding God's flock is not predicated on how much money you make on the deal. 
Notice it's being contrasted with dishonest gain. <laughs> Peddling somehow the word of God, right? Paul has something to say about that elsewhere in the scripture. It's something we have a heart's desire to do. An example, we, we shepherd endeavoring to be among the people, around the people, available to the people. Being an example implies that we are able to be seen. We're not in hiding, but we are present with the body of Christ. We're not seated in the ivory palaces, shouting down instructions, but we're dwelling with the people. We're in the boat with the people. When the weather is good, weather storms going on, we're in it together. God's given the pastor teacher the role of equipping the saints, the saints, the beloved, the brethren, the holy ones of God. I got to thinking, if God's word has called the pastor teacher to this assignment of equipping the saints for the work of ministry, then what does this have to say about the saints? What's it have to say about his church? Might there be a need God wants to see fulfilled in his body? Do you sense a purpose welling up in the heart of God toward his people? Let me ask another question. Do you get the idea that God in the scriptures, does he randomly call people or does he intentionally call them? I think you know the answer. And if he's intentional about the placement of his pastor teachers in the body of Christ, then what are the ramifications for the body of Christ, the saints in the church of God? If the pastor teacher is given to the body to equip them for the work of ministry, why is that such a big deal? Well, the Ephesians 4 text seems to indicate an intended result or objective of the work of ministry carried out by the saints. And that is the edifying or strengthening or encouraging or building up of the body of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 brings another layer to this. Paul, in, the, in that particular verse, he calls the church at Thessalonica to comfort each other and to edify one another. Edify one another. And I found that interesting because in that Thessalonians context, he's calling the church to this course of action, not just the spiritual leaders in that particular assembly. Listen, when the saints are about the work of ministry, the result is the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. I love that summary passage of scripture in Acts 9, 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified. Remember, this is at a time when the church was being persecuted. Stephen had just been martyred. People had been scattered. And you get to Acts 9, 31. And the churches all throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So on the heels of this persecution, the state of the church, peace 
edification. It's in this state that they find themselves multiplying. The church feared God. The church walked daily in the comforting, powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's a great way to be built up. It's a great way to be strengthened in the faith. Pastors, teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry with the big picture in mind of the body of Christ being edified. You might ask, well, how long does this happen? How long does this need to go on? How long does this continue? Verse 13 in chapter 4 of Ephesians tells us, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen, this is a calling. This is a work that continues till we all come to full maturity in Christ. I want you to think about what it might look like for this particular body to take on the character and persona of Christ. I want you to think about what God might do in this place when the parts of the body all come to the unity of the faith. When the church has an intimate knowledge and working relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ. When the dads and the moms, when the young and the old, when they start thinking and they start acting and they start working and they start praying in such a way that God gets glory with their lives. Consider what God might do when his children start taking him seriously and start knocking the dust off of his Bible, opening it up, reading it a little bit, reading it with fervor and ready to start obeying what he has to say. Think about what that might look like. He's fully equipped us. Church, we need to press on. We need to be reaching forward using the terms that Paul uses there in Philippians 3. To the things that he's called his church to be doing, to be about. Philippians 3.14, Paul says, I press toward the goal for the prize. Of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul tells the church at Colossae exactly what the Lord had called him to be about doing. Him we preach. That's Christ, he says. We preach Christ. Warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, mature in Christ Jesus. Christ is preached here with the hope of presenting every man and every woman complete, mature in Christ. Till we all come. I love that phrase. Till we all come. The Bible includes all the saints here. No exemptions. No free pass to sit this one out if you're a saint, if you're a child of God in Christ. The pastor teacher carries out his assignment and the saints carry out the work of the ministry that the body is edified and we do this till all come. The Lord may be speaking to you right here on this particular point. We've been meeting together now for over nine years, but I'm fully convinced over the course of these nine years that the body of Christ has not all come together in Unity. We've had a good number of fractures, a good number of divisions and trials along the way over nine plus years. 
I read this passage and it causes me to ask what we are striving for as a church. What banner is being raised up above the name of Jesus Christ? Is there anything being raised unnecessarily above the cause of Jesus Christ? Are we striving to be right, to win an argument, to get our way? Or are we consumed with maturing in Christ, letting our conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ? As Paul says, are we with one mind, there's a unity aspect, with one mind, are we striving together for the faith of the gospel? Is that what we're after? Till we all come. I believe the Lord's calling us all to come together in the unity of the faith. I believe he's calling us all to walk together in relationship with one another as we grow in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is something he's calling us all toward. And so the question comes, will you respond to him and come? He's calling all in the body here. He's calling them also to come, he says, to a perfect man. Listen. Maturity isn't measured by how old you are. There's no no age number set on maturity. There's a whole lot of adults today who still act like children. We live in this video game, entertain me world. Maturity in Christ doesn't happen on autopilot. Maturity in Christ is not somehow just going to zap you and all of a sudden you become mature. Maturity in Christ is a sanctifying work done in you by the Holy Spirit as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I didn't make this up. Philippians chapter 2 tells us these things. Paul says to work out your salvation as God is working in you to do his will, his good purpose in and through you. See, the mature man and woman in Christ holds tightly to the word of God when everyone around them is holding to the ways of the world. The mature man and woman in Christ listens to the voice of the Holy Spirit for direction and tests it with the truth of God's word. The mature man and woman in Christ has the ability to make wise decisions and bear much fruit for God's kingdom. Maturity is seen not so much in words that get spoken, but in a life that gets lived out. Maturity in Christ is displayed through a life surrendered to the cause of Christ. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is what? It's gain. It's for Christ. He spent his life for Christ. He spent it well, church. Are the parts of the body here desiring to mature in Christ? Are you content with just a little bit of Jesus? Have you you somehow put up the stop sign before God to let him know you've had quite enough of Jesus already? As you've grown older, have you grown warmer to the things of Christ in your life? You remember the game where the 
one person gets blindfolded and there's an object, they're supposed to find this object and they're walking around, bumbling, stumbling around the room and they, they start walking in a direction and, you, and, and someone says, oh, you're cold. He's like, and he goes this way. And, oh, you're getting warmer. Oh, getting warmer. Oh, you're getting a little close. Oh, you're getting hot. That means you're moving closer to the object that you're supposed to be getting. What is it that God might say this morning to you about your desire to grow up in the Lord? Is he saying, child, you're, you're, you're as cold as it gets right now. Is he saying, you're getting warmer, keep, keep coming, keep drawing near. Is it, you're, you're hot for my cause, you're bearing much fruit for my kingdom work, keep on burning, keep on walking in the light, keep on being faithful. To a perfect man. It goes on, it says in 13, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's sort of a mouthful, isn't it? To the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. It's a staggering statement, though, in the text. It's overwhelming to think of his church all coming to the point where we reach the measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow! That's incredible. Think about it for just a moment and make your head spin. The whole church coming to the full measure and stature of Christ. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 provides a further picture of what coming to the measure of the fullness of Christ entails. And Paul says, therefore, in him, that's Christ, in Christ dwells, listen, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then he goes on and says, you're complete in him. Or as we said earlier, you are fully equipped by God. So don't get cheated, don't get fooled, don't be deceived into thinking that striving to the measure of the fullness of Christ is not worth your time and attention. If the church is to grow up in all things into Christ, then we need to walk in Him, having been rooted and established in the faith that's entrusted to us. In Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete, he says, fully equipped in Christ Jesus. So don't think that you need a companion. You need someone else to make you whole. We have a friend in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Don't think that you need a higher paying job to make you happy. Christ came to see that your joy may be full in him. Don't immediately think that you need a therapist, a counselor to help you sort out your problems. God, listen, he specializes in heart transformation. He specializes in mind renewal through his word. The Holy Spirit is a specialist in providing the power to change what your circumstance currently is. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is a comforter. The Holy Spirit is a helper. And it's through Christ's redeeming work at the cross and his subsequent resurrection, that these changes can occur. It's because of what Christ has done. You are fully equipped 
and complete in Christ. I want to add one more piece here to the equation from Ephesians 4 this morning. And that's 15 and 16. Actually, 14 talks about that we should no longer be children. If I was to truncate the verse, verses, no longer be children, but grow up in all things into him who is the head. And the head is Christ. So God has called some to be pastors, teachers, for the work of ministry, excuse me, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for a big picture objective, for the edifying of the body, that the body would be strengthened, that the body would be built up. And we'll ask the question right here, what's the alternative to being built up in Christ, to growing in the Lord? What's the alternative? It's being stuck in a state of perpetual childhood. Think about that for just a moment. An ongoing state of childhood. The word says that we should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro. You get the picture? A boat, storm, being tossed to and fro. You get the picture? We should no longer be carried about by the winds of doctrine and deception of men. This is why it's so important to grow in the Lord. To mature in Christ. Because you see, as we're doing these things, we become anchored in His truth. We don't get blown every which way. When God's word is in us and his truth is in us, his word is in us, his word is hidden in our heart that we might not sin against him. That's our anchor. Think about the tragic state of Christ's church operating always and only as spiritual babes. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, he addresses this very thing in the first three verses of chapter 3. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, he says, and not with solid food, for until now you are not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able, for you are carnal, he says. For there are, where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? He's saying, hey, stop it. You're not acting like the church at all. You're not acting like the redeemed saints of Jesus Christ. You're acting just like the world. I'm trying to and want to feed you solid food, but all you can take right now is milk. Church, please don't settle for less than what God desires of you. Coming to the full measure of the stature of Christ, is that not a high bar? It's an amazing high bar. But that's what he's called us to. And what he's called us to, he's given to us. He's fully equipped us, remember? 
What he calls us to, he equips us for. Don't be content with being a lifer as a spiritual babe. A lifer. I just, you just fall into this rut. You fall into this pattern. Oh, here we another day. Oh, yeah, I know I need to do that. Up, oh, didn't do that. Oh. Don't fall into that pattern. Don't be content with that. Take that to the Lord in prayer. Let's go back to last week. And if that's you, you need to go to him and repent of that. Get that right. Express your desire from your heart to walk with him. To have relationship with him. To grow. To mature. Don't allow your comfort and ease to dictate your next steps. Boy, that's instructive for all of us, isn't it? We always seem to want to take the easiest path. The one that's least resistant. The one that we can do on our own. Listen, God doesn't need you walking a path that you can do on your own. He's called you to walk a path and not to lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways to acknowledge him and what's he going to do. What's he promised to do? Direct your steps. God's called you to grow up in all things in Christ. God has called you out of spiritual infancy into mature adulthood for his glory. That's what he's called you to. Christ died for the church. Maybe we need that reminder this morning. He died for the church. So know that his placement of pastors, teachers in the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, he's intentionally placed the members of his body as he determines, the Bible says. He's placed the people in the body according to their giftedness to operate and function together. It's the all hands on board mentality in the body of Christ. There's much more here in Ephesians 4. One of these days, Lord willing, we'll dive into Ephesians and explore this a little deeper and a little further. I'd like to go back to Mr. Waldron for just a moment. By the eve of battle on June 3rd, 1942, as it was stated earlier, Lieutenant Commander John Waldron had every reason to believe that Torpedo Squadron 8 was ready physically, tactically, and emotionally, and they were as prepared as he could make them. They went into battle that day with the objective of landing torpedoes on the Japanese naval fleet making their way to the island of Midway. They arrived on the scene with the understanding that they would have backup. They would have support. You see, because Torpedo Squadron 8 was flying in sorely outdated, obsolete planes. Clunkers, if you will. To give you an indicator of how badly outdated these planes were, the Japanese Zero pilots, those planes that they flew... Flew in the range of 300 mile an hour. These torpedo bombers that 
Lieutenant Waldron and his men were flying went somewhere around 100 miles an hour. They were sitting ducks, essentially in the air. And they were going up against, at the time, at the day, some of the best, most highly trained pilots in the world in the Japanese. Well, their plans to land those torpedoes from the Japanese naval fleet. Those plans didn't come to fruition. Waldron's crew found themselves all alone, faced with a decision to pursue their objective or turn back. You see, they were supposed to, and the plan was that they would go into this with backup from other dive bombers and fighter planes to support them. Because their role, their mission, they were going to go low to the surface of the water so they could drop their torpedoes and they would have cover. Well, as they approach the Japanese fleet, time and again, he's on the radio, Lieutenant Waldron And there's no response from any other backup. And he gets to the point where he has to make the decision. Do I continue on with the mission or do I turn back? Just before taking off, Lieutenant Waldron said this to the 14 other pilots. He said, if you're the last man in the air, do not break off the attack. Go in and get a hit. And after trying to radio for help and radio for help and say, hey, I need some help. We need some cover. We're here. He then radioed his other 14 pilots. And he said these words. We will go in. We won't turn back. We will attack. What was the result of Waldron's torpedo squadron eight? All of them died but one that day. All 15 of the torpedo bombers were shot down, picked off. One survivor lived to tell what happened next. You see, shortly after annihilating Torpedo Squadron 8, the skies opened up and U.S. dive bombers dropped not one, not two, but three bombs on the Japanese targets. The objective was accomplished that day in large part due to the courage of Waldron's men. By their act of sacrifice, they made a clear path possible for the dive bombers to come in and accomplish the mission. Waldron's men were equipped physically, tactically, and emotionally to succeed. When confronted with a decision, their leader called them to pursue the very task they'd been prepared to do. They were carrying out what they'd been equipped to do. And listen, it cost them their lives carrying out the plan. God has called his church to be equipped spiritually, friends. 
He set in place pastors, teachers to equip his church for the work of ministry with the objective of edifying and building up the body of Christ. This is a work that continues moving forward until we all come, rallying around the unity of the faith and knowledge of God's Son, pursuing maturity in Christ, desiring to attain to the full measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. This is a work that calls for all that you've got. It's a work that lasts all of our days. It's a work that moves us beyond spiritual infancy. It's a work that might very well cost us our lives, but it's a work like John Waldron and his men found out. It's a work where faithfulness is rewarded. Paul says to Timothy in his last letter, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 5, he says, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Be fully equipped by God. Understand that you are. If you're in Christ, you've been fully equipped. Holy Spirit's presence and power. God's revealed word of truth. He's placed you in his family, the body of Christ. He's given you unlimited access to his throne of grace. He's given to you hope of eternal life with Jesus in heaven. But I think the message today from Ephesians 4 is also helpful for us to be about the ongoing work of equipping. I think of three people in the Bible that are helpful for us to get a handle on this ongoing work of equipping. I think of Paul, and Paul was one who was always, seemed to be always about equipping someone, uh, i.e. Timothy, right? You think of Paul and Timothy. It's important that we have someone that we are coming alongside of, someone that we are equipping, someone that we are training, we are preparing, we are discipling. I think of Barnabas, and I think of Paul and Barnabas, and they were sort of what I would call just spiritual equals. They were ministering one to another. Do you have another brother? Do you have another sister in the Lord that you share things with, that you talk about things of the Lord with, that you're intimately sharing prayer requests with one another, praying for one another? And perhaps it's helpful also just to consider Timothy, the one who was being equipped. Listen. It's it's important not just to be equipping, but it's important that we find somebody that can equip us as well. Someone that can be encouraging us to walk with the Lord, to grow in the faith. Are you helping someone else grow in the body? Waldron's men... It says here, Waldron's men were commissioned to sink Japanese carriers and died trying. Their efforts paved the way for others, though they did not live to see their success. Listen, we are commissioned to give our best to our Lord Jesus. Amen? He laid down his life for us. He gave his best for us. And we're called according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, to now lay down our lives for the brethren. We are commissioned to make disciples, to equip the brethren for the work of ministry with the hope that the body of Christ is edified and strengthened, which brings glory to his name. See, we've got to keep perspective and in mind the glory to his name. We sing it, glory to his name. That's true. 
That's what we're to be about. And just as the patriarchs of old from Hebrews chapter 11, they were commissioned to walk by faith. They didn't get to see the promises come to fruition, but they obeyed what God called them to do. Church, as we continue building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, we are called to do so on our knees, in prayer, and working for his cause all of our days. For his name's sake, let us press on to maturity. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this good word and I thank you for this passage in Ephesians 4 which reminds us of the part that we all have to play in your body called the church. We thank you, Lord, that you are the head of this church. You died. You shed blood because of your love, your great love for your church. And Father, as we see what you did through your son and giving your son Him coming down here to earth to die for us. Lord, I pray that we would be moved to give our very best for you in the days that we have here. Lord, we can get caught up in so many other periphery things. But Lord, I pray we would understand and remember that we are here to give you glory. That is like basic fundamental, why we're here. And we see from your word that you've already in Christ fully equipped us for everything we need for godliness and life. You fully equipped us. Thank you, God, for fully equipping us for the work you've called us to, for placing us in your body, giving us unlimited access Thank you, Father, that you've given to us a hope. A hope that one day we'll see Jesus. A hope that one day we'll be with Jesus. A hope that one day we get to be with Jesus in heaven, worshiping, singing, praising your name all of our days. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more crying. The old order is gone. Lord, we look forward to that. Father, thank you for your goodness. I pray as we think about this building block of equipping, Lord, it would be our heart's desire to be equipped first and foremost by you and desire for your spirit to equip us, to work on us, to prepare us, to transform our heart, to renew our mind so that We can please you and glorify you, but also so that we can come alongside others and equip them and point them to the one true God, Jesus Christ. Make it about you, Father, I pray. Make our lives about you. I pray in your son's name. Amen.